Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible often talks about a Christian's, a believer's enemies in both the Old Testament and the New. Have you ever thought about that? That may be challenging for us to think about at times because although we may be aware of people who don't care for us or who may not care for what it is we believe as Christians, it's not like that in our country, in its history of our country, that Christians have been that opposed or had that many outright enemies. But we might say that times are beginning to change. And And I don't need or mean to sound unnecessarily doom and gloom here, but there's no doubt about it that Christians growing up in our world today, I think of my own kids, for instance, they will not, they do not and will not live in the same world in which we once did. And now to be clear, Christians are not being persecuted in our country like in many parts of the world today, or as we look back on church history, those first three centuries in the Roman Empire, But even here in the United States, Christianity is being moved out of the mainstream of society and out onto the fringes. And you know, it's not as if the world is saying something like, well, let's address Christian beliefs head on with clear and comprehensive debates or something like that, where it's all brought out into the open and and people are, are allowed to decide for themselves It's much worse than that. It's much more dismissive than that. What we believe isn't actually being given much of the light of any kind of day. The world marginalizes what it is we believe. It's as if people are saying to us, oh, you believe as a Christian? You believe in biblical view on life, biblical teachings and such? Well, That's nice for you, but if you could please move over to the side while the reasonable and intelligent people talk about things. Historical and orthodox Christianity, that is what the the church and Christians have always believed since the time of Christ. We may not be getting physically attacked, and we're thankful for that, but our beliefs are being subtly, or in some cases not so subtly, undermined in our Western society. And when I say our beliefs, I don't mean something that we've come up with, but rather what is the clear teaching of God's word. And so anyone who holds to God's word is characterized today so often as someone who is small-minded, old-fashioned, maybe even bigoted. And the world, this world applies pressure on people to accept the the ways and beliefs of its own in our our so-called open-minded and progressive and tolerant society. But in so many ways, it's not open-minded nor tolerant towards Christianity. And so a Christian today, living in today's world, a Christian has a choice. Compromise that which the church has historically stood on as true, what God's word says is true. And unfortunately, the list of Christian denominations nowadays that have done just that, compromise the truth, that list grows longer and longer. Or a Christian can instead continue to stand on the truth of God's word and really for the first time in our nation's history expect to know what it feels like to be pushed to the side, to be marginalized, to have your voice suppressed just for holding to those beliefs. 
And so as the church experiences more and more a loss of, of the mainstream position it for so long had enjoyed, well, one day we might find that we are, in fact, facing persecution for what we believe. Now, if you don't think that that could ever happen here in America, well, I would just call your attention to the fact that for a long time now, we in the United States have been able to look across the Atlantic Ocean to Europe and see it sort of as a vision of what, is our, what our own future is going to look like. The decline of the Western Christian Church, for example, started out much earlier over there than it has here. Those wonderful and historic churches over in Europe are now more like museums rather than places of worship. Now, not everything is the same between America and Europe, of course. There are important differences of context. But, but we do pay attention to what's happening over there so that we might be aware of and prepared for what we might see coming down the pike. And something that's becoming all the more frequent in Europe, unfortunately, and even in Canada, where certain laws have been passed, is that laws are being passed that prohibit a Christian from expressing historic biblical teachings in public. It becomes illegal. It is considered hate speech and an attack on someone who may disagree with Christianity. As an example, right now, the bishop leader of our Lutheran church partner in Finland, Bishop Juhana Pohula, as well as another member of the Finnish parliament, actually, they're awaiting the verdict of the trial that just completed for them where they were being prosecuted. And that verdict is expected at the end of this month. They were being prosecuted with the threat of financial, uh, severe financial penalty and maybe even prison time for publishing back in 2004 a pamphlet that expresses the biblical teaching on God's institution of marriage. That marriage is a lifelong union between a man and a woman. You see, biblical teachings on marriage and the right relationship between a man and a woman and, and sin and God's forgiveness of sin and an explanation of his mercy, which extends to all people, those apparently are not permitted in their culture, at least not in the minds of those who denounce them and see them as a threat. And so the, the, the bishop and this member of parliament, they're at the mercy of the courts right now. They, they said they're not going to stop teaching what's right and what's God's word, of course. They're not going to stop proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they now know full well that they live in a world that will reject them for doing so. And so we ask ourselves, how far away are we from living in such a world? Now, let me be clear about something. It's not as if the Christian church doesn't have experience in, that the Christian church can't function in, that can't, the Christian church can't function well in the margins of society. Like I said before, this is how the early church functioned for three centuries in the Roman Empire. This is how many Christians around the world today function. And there, the church is fine. Jesus is still Lord of his church, and the gospel is still proclaimed. It's just that in America, we aren't used to that. As human beings, we naturally like things easier and more comfortable for ourselves. We can't help it. And so a lot of Christians, well-intentioned as they may be, they've been expending a lot of energy in our country 
trying to get things back to the way they were in our society, trying to make things more comfortable for us as Christians again. But not only do I think that that's not actually achievable, but perhaps in the end, God's will isn't that we are comfortable. God wants his church to be able to function well and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and maybe, maybe being a little uncomfortable, maybe even being opposed, can grant us the clarity of faith that we need. Our epistle reading today that we heard from the Apostle Paul, it's so important for us this morning as we think about the context in which Paul is writing to the Philippians. And although it's different in some ways, the context in which Paul is writing is more similar to us today than it would have been, say, 40 or even 30 or even 20 years ago. And so Paul writes this, he says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul is describing that in his day there are people who oppose a God who would dare call them to repentant faith, who would dare say that we ought to listen to his word. He describes those who focus on the pleasures of the flesh, who embrace a God of satisfying our own sinful appetites, who great, take great pride in pursuing earthly things and encouraging others to follow suit. All the while, never realizing the inevitable destruction of their fleeting and unfulfilling lifestyle. Well, I ask you, does that sound familiar? Our society seems to specialize in inventing new ways to oppose the cross of Christ. And we as Christians, we watch all this as, as those whose citizenship is in heaven, as Paul says. We have our feet firmly planted on the foundation of Jesus Christ and our hope is fixed on him as we await the day when he will return and transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. We are waiting for him who will restore this sinful creation, redeem it. And so we sit here and we can't quite understand how people today or how our society today can get so far off track. But even so, God's word is teaching us today how we as Christians are called to respond to those enemies. And the proper response to the enemies of the cross, it isn't to throw our hands up in disgust. It isn't to walk away from them. It isn't to leave such a world to their own destruction. And it also isn't to go on the counteroffensive to fight fire with fire as if God is really interested in us protecting our own societal uh, interest and well-being. No, the true answer we get from Scripture today, from Philippians and all of our readings about how to respond to our enemies, well, it may surprise us. In our epistle reading, Paul encourages us to imitate him. So we ask, what does Paul do when talking about the enemies of the cross of Christ? Well, Paul says he speaks with tears. He weeps for them. And I don't think Paul is weeping with tears of anger or indignation or disgust. No, rather, Paul is weeping with tears of sorrow. 
For those who have placed their trust wholly in themselves or in the things of this world, rather than in the one and true Lord. And so this is what it means to be a prophetic voice in our world today, a world lost in its own sin. A prophet speaks God's truth, never compromises God's word, yet all the while is weeping in genuine love and compassion for God's people, even when those people may be his enemies. It's no coincidence that today we hear from, in the Old Testament, from the prophet Jeremiah, who is known as the weeping prophet. In Jeremiah chapter 9, he says, Oh, that my head were waters, my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night. And it's because Jeremiah's love for his people, for God's people, compelled him to speak God's truth. And so that's what we see him doing in in chapter 26. Jeremiah is calling God's people to repent of their sin. Even the same people who are laying hold of him. Who are laying hold of Jeremiah and saying to him, you shall die. How dare you speak against this city and against us. But of course, all this also reminds us of the ultimate example of weeping for our enemies to whom both Jeremiah and the Apostle Paul are pointing us, pointing us to our Lord Jesus Christ, who in our gospel reading today is weeping over the very city he knows is going to oppose him and crucify him. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. So often when we are opposed or when we feel the cross of Christ is opposed, the temptation is to get angry or to rail at somebody or to engage in a furious debate, whether it's on the timelines of Facebook or Twitter or whether it's in public somewhere or even if it's against a faceless enemy that we've conjured up in our own minds as we're talking with family and friends. We want to put them in their place. We want to regain some sense of what we feel we've lost as a society. We want to subject them to us and to the way we want things to be. But we have to understand that that's not our job. And we couldn't even do it if we tried. Because we're not the Lord. Paul reminds us that Christ is the Lord. And because he is Lord, we know, as Paul says, that he alone has the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Jesus will take care of all things. And that means that we don't have to. As Pastor Don said this past Wednesday, this doesn't mean that we as Christians compromise God's truth by not confronting evil in this world. It's just the opposite. We do confront evil with the truth of God's word. But the examples that we have been given of how we treat the enemies of the cross while doing so is very clear. God calls us to imitate the examples of Paul and Jeremiah and Jesus. They show us what the proper response to the enemies of the cross should be. And it's not to get angry, nor is it to give up all hope, but rather it is to weep for them. And so what does it mean to weep? For our enemies. 
but to have an attitude of compassion and love. Earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either, but love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them and expect nothing in return. And your reward will be great, Jesus says, and you will be sons of the Most High, for it is he who is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, Jesus says, even as your Father is merciful. In other words, we might find that our enemies rail against us, but we pray for them anyway. Our enemies may hate us, but we love them anyway. They may oppose us, but we do everything for them anyway. They may want to kill us, but we lay down our lives for them anyway. We may see that their ways are only ending in their own destruction, so we weep for them anyway. After all, isn't this what Jesus did? When everyone was out to get him, from Satan to Herod, as we heard today, to the leaders of the Jews, just so that they could derail him from his mission. But Jesus refused to be deterred. He said, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. You see, Jesus was willing to place himself in the very hands of his enemies, to go into the city of Jerusalem where he knew he would be arrested and tried and beaten and nailed to a cross. And he still went forward anyway for the sake of his enemies. And let's be absolutely clear who he was weeping over, who his enemies were. He wept over those who he knew were waiting for him in Jerusalem. But he was also weeping over all of his enemies, which includes all the sinners in all the world for whom Jesus was willing to die. His enemies were all of humanity, including you and me. It was for your sin and mine that he was willing to be nailed to the tree. So that he could die for our sins. Before God intervened, scripture says, on our behalf, we were the enemies of the cross of Christ. We too would only ever focus on earthly things that would lead to our own destruction. We too would only ever oppose Christ by our sinful nature. That is, until Jesus died on the cross and then rose again on the third day, which grants us new citizenship, as the Apostle Paul says. We are citizens of heaven. And that means that we are free to hope in more than what this world can offer us. We are free to hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, who we know will return from heaven one day and raise our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And so our hope is in the life of the world to come. 
And so with this freedom that we've been given now as the children of God, as the ones whose sins have been forgiven, as the ones who have been set free, we do use our freedom to weep over the enemies of the cross of Christ. And we pray that God would use our tears to lead those enemies to the saving waters of holy baptism. Because wouldn't that just be the best vengeance we could think of? That our enemies would become just like us? Forgiven sinners? So that they too could experience gathering under the protective wings of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the shadow of his cross... And in the light of the glorious resurrection, this is what we weep for. This is what we pray for. This is what we use our words and our actions for, to serve our enemies. And so in this life, we know that if we are opposed, if we are uncomfortable and marginalized in society, if we are one day persecuted for our faith, Well, then we take comfort. We take comfort in the fact that that puts us in pretty good company. The company of Jeremiah, the company of the Apostle Paul, the company of all the prophets and the saints, the company of Jesus himself, who was opposed by the ones he so dearly loved. We can be comfortable with being uncomfortable in this world because we have been given the eternal comfort of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we will see on the day when he returns. Therefore, Paul writes to the Philippians, and I now say to you, therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.